Welcome to the fourth episode of Fistful of Chords with me, Jim Drury. Today's guest is the one and only Wilco Johnson. Originally from pub rock legends Dr Feelgood, Wilco's been in the music industry for almost 50 years and his unique guitar playing style has spawned a thousand imitators. Seven years ago, doctors gave him 10 months to live after he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. But after a groundbreaking operation, he was cured. I spoke to Wilco recently as he came to terms with life in lockdown. Nice to see you, Wilco. <laughs> and to see you. How, how are you finding lockdown? Well, um, it, it's peculiar. I mean, it, it's been, I, I should say, I, it, this has been going on for a long time for me because, because I'm what, what they call, a, I'm especially vulnerable because of, because of the uh, operation I had a, a while ago. And they said they said to me that uh, should I catch the virus, it it could be very serious. I think what they're saying is it will kill you. And uh, so they they said you go you go and lock yourself in for twelve weeks. So I'm I'm not allowed to step out of my door. It says things. Like it's, it goes uh, don't 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 even carry your rubbish out to the front gate. You know don't go out. How are you coping with that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't, it is strange, it's, I don't know, I can't, I can't, I, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just this long day I've been in, this has been lasting for quite some time this day, same thing, sitting here, you know, like, guess for around about midday, I phone up my mate, French Henry, he lives down by the seafront, right? And 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 he, he can start cursing, uh, cursing all the um, uh, day trippers coming down from London. <laughs> and then then after a couple of couple of minutes of that, we, we go. Uh, uh, I, can't, I can't think of anything else to say. <laughs> That's it, you know. But we we, we make the effort. But uh, what are you spending your days doing then? Not right. You playing guitar? Um, uh, uh, no, no, I never bloody do that. No, it goes. It kind of varies. I do watch a lot of. Um, I've never really been a television person, but anyway, watching watching YouTube, right, and things. Like, now I, I went into a big, a big. Um, you can get these. Uh, they're these ninja films, right? That they're made in Hong Kong in the mid eighties, right? There's there's hundreds of them. They they last about thirty minutes, right? And they're. <laughs> Well, they're a hoot. I mean, they just—they they are so funny, right? And so I, I, I sit there. I mean, I, like I say, these are just short, these little rotten little films. Right? <laughs> they're ninjas, and they're in—and they're in Hong Kong. Japan doesn't come in apparently, and they're—they're they're all either English or Australian. These ninjas wearing like fancy dress outfits, and they have this headband on, and on the headband it says "Ninja." <laughs> they're just so cheap, and they're. they're they're beautiful. They're absolutely hilarious, and and uh, I watch them over and over. I mean, like I say, they only last about fifteen twenty minutes. You know, I don't. I've got, I, and uh, and and that's great as well. Yes, the ninja, the ninjas. They they kind of sit around in these fancy dress co- costumes, uh, you know, under a tree, sort of cross legged, little little bit oriental, you know, and uh, and. Uh, the, the, now the chief, the, the, the chief ninja, the boss, the guy, the guy that's always the hero. The, the, his name is Gordon, <laughs> Gordon the ninja, 
And they're all called this 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 Golden, this Stuart, this. No, I'm not kidding. The Golden Stuart, a lot of Andrew, probably a lot of Scottish names for some reason, right? Anyway, so I go from that. I've got you know I'm binge on that, and then and then I'll tell you what. The the uh, the other night I I I just ch- chanced on an interview with uh, Ian McKellen. Uh, uh, that's right. He was talking. He he was um, he was he he was he, he was giving a kind of a a, a a class, if you like, on on the Macbeth uh, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow speech, right? And his analysis, but uh, it was great. It was, I mean, it was, oh man, you know, like the, the uh, you know, I mean, he added to my kind of understanding that I've, I've been familiar since, you know, and then I, then I found the um, RSC production of uh, from the 60s with uh, Ian McKellen and Judy Dench, and his, God, I tell you what, he's really good <laughs> It was just, I mean, God, there was just sort of finding, I just thought, <laughs> wow. So, you know, it's, it's up and down, it's up and down. But look, 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 the rest of the time, I'm, well, I'm wondering when I, when I could ever get out of it, you see, because the, the reason the reason that, that, that they told me to come in, to stay and lock myself in for 12 weeks, I'm not allowed to see anyone, not get near anyone. Um, because, as I say, obviously the reason is, you know, because of my, uh, well, they've taken all the bits out of me and my operation, and, that, and uh, it makes me especially vulnerable. I'm diabetic now, for instance, because since I took my pancreas, and uh, it just wouldn't be a good idea for me to get this thing, apart from taking up uh, much-needed hospital resources, I would probably die. But, uh... <laughs> I mean, you, have, you 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 talked about the life saving operation. I was going to ask you about that because you know we seven years ago you were told you had a year to live, so you should we shouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> the, 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 I mean, yeah. So uh, the irony of all this is not lost on me. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that come about? Because you were you you sort of said your goodbyes, you did the farewell tour. Yeah. Tell us about. That miracle. It all started with a little bump on my stomach, you know, this little bump, and uh, which uh, everybody was diagnosing as a what was that one called? It's a cyst, and this had been going on for some time. I just I was to kind of I decided to treat this thing by ignoring it and hoping it will go away, and uh, you know, uh, uh, um, and then then my um, uh, my, my uh, son. Matthew came came to visit. He 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 lives in uh, Dubai, and and he t- <laughs> he saw one look at this and dragged me to the, dragged me off to the hospital, and uh, and uh, I don't know. A few days later, went into the hospital, saw this doctor, and he said, uh, "How did you do?" It? He went he went. Uh, Yes, you've got this. Uh, you've got this mass on your or, or something. He said. I, I thought. Yes, yes, I know that. And then he said. Then he said. Unfortunately, we can't operate on this. And I thought. Oh my God. This. <laughs> and then. It, then he said it. You've got cancer. And it, it, 
It was funny. I mean, my my, my son broke down, and uh, I'm going. Oh, that's all right, son. You know, and the doctor was saying, the doctor was saying to him, no, no, let, let him cry. And uh, the thing was with me, he said this thing, and I felt God. I just suddenly felt this. I felt high. I just suddenly got this. What was it like? It was like I, I kind of felt so. This is how it ends. <laughs> you know, it was like I, I, you know, it was it was it was a it was a buzz. I was thinking I I, I wasn't freaked. I, I then we got up to work. the hospital is quite near my house, and uh, so I walked walk home. And I remember we walked out of the. Walked out the doors of the hospital, and it was a, um, it was the most, it was a beautiful winter's day, and uh, I remember I, I looked up at the, uh, this blue sky, and the tr- the trees against the sky, and I thought, this fucking, I thought, it, it looked, it looked so beautiful, it was like, I was flying. I was looking, oh, just looking at it, you know, and 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 going through the thing, and then and then I'm I'm looking around me as I'm walking along, like everything was like sparkling, and I'm walking home, and I'm really I'm just feeling ecstatic is is the word, and uh, I I thought this must this must be some kind of um, delayed shock or something going on here, and I thought as soon as, as, soon as I get home. I'm probably going to collapse into a quivering heap, but I didn't. <laughs> and it and uh, it was the yes, it was the start of a very extraordinary year. I'd read about this sense of elation you felt. How long did that last? Well, it was, as I say, it lasted. I mean, it lasted all, all that day. Um, I was kind of you know I'd be uh, phoning friends up and. Telling them, and of course, you know that they're all freaked. But I'm, 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 I've, yeah. I never, I never, reaction. I never felt any of the things you imagine you're gonna feel. You know, I, I, I just, uh, I, 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 yeah, I'd say I, I kind of felt that high most of the time. That, that, that I, I never, I never felt sorry for myself. <laughs> You know, sometimes you kind of feel sorry about the situation, but it was just like, uh, you know, it's, it's a thing. It's like you feel like, well, there it is, mortality, and that it's, it's worked out for you, man. That's what it is. It's, you 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 walking in a crowded street, you you feel you you look at you see the crowds around you, and and uh, you kind of not pity them, but. Well, sort of in a way, because you think all, the, all these people, all these people are like—they're uh, all mortals. They're all—they're all subject to the relentless king of terrors. But I'm not, because it's sorted out for me. I don't—I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think, you know, how long I'm—I go- know how long I'm going to live, and just things like that. But you it know, it's they- interesting. I'd, I'd, so I'd read afterwards that when you when you had this miraculous operation, which we'll go back to. After you had the all clear, you didn't have that sense of elation. You, it, which is, well, I find the, really fascinating. Well, the, well, the thing is that, that uh, obviously when you when you received the um, 
uh, cancer diagnosis, uh, obviously, bang, it's, it comes out. It's a, it, 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 it comes out of the air, you know. It's all of a sudden, the guy said those words, said those three words, right? And and you know, then you, right? But of course, at the other end of it, when <laughs> so the process of actually saving my life took a, 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 a massive a, a massive operation and, and a long time in hospital. So there's no moment of revelation like there is when they, when they tell you. Because you, 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 after, after they've sorted it out, you're just lying there full of morphine, kind of not really thinking about anything. I, I read that it was a, fa- a fan of yours, it was a doctor, who saw you at the Cornbury Festival you, and said you should yes, be dead. Well, 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 uh, you, we can operate or something. Well, no. What it was is uh, we were we're playing. Um, God, I mean, there were such fantastic days. Those, you know, just the things that happened to me that year. For instance, we, we you know, we decided to do a farewell tour. You know, they weren't quite sure how long I would be fit, but you know, so we did a tour, and and then we did that, and I was still on my feet. Uh, my stomach was swollen right out by then. It looked like I was pregnant, and uh, and uh, and then then it was the summer. And felt, oh, we can do festivals. It's great because you can put festivals. Because supposing you do keel over and you can't do it, that ain't going to stop no show, right? So so you could, we could get you know get all the gigs, and, and and by then everybody knew about it. I mean, it was, so we were playing this Cornbury festival. It was, it was in the program, you know, the the fact that I was dying. And uh, oh man, you can't go wrong. <laughs> you walk out, and you, I mean, you can laugh, you laugh, but I mean, it's quite, it's quite touching. And uh, uh, we had a, we had a fantastic gig, and uh, also uh, Van Morrison was topping the bill, and that, and that was great because uh, uh, I, I know Van, I hadn't seen him for a couple of years, and it was great to be able to see him and well say goodbye. You know, his van was there, and so it was all real good. Also, there was this uh, this <laughs> Chinese ball of energy. This he's running around, he's taking photos, he's taking photos, right? His name is Charlie Chan, right? <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, he's everywhere, man. Uh, 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 so I've. Uh, I'm talking to him, and as we are talking, um, he's not actually a photographer. He is, in fact, a cancer surgeon. Um, I I believe he specialises in uh, breast cancer. Time went by. My my time was kind of running out, you know, like... And uh, Charlie came knocking on my door and uh, he, he, he said he, 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 he wants to talk to me I mean he knew from speaking to me you know, and I'd said I, I never I never um, sought second opinions or anything like that you know I just decided to accept I was going to die and make the most of the time I got I didn't want to spend my time sitting in hospital corridors you know and anyway he had a little he had a little look at me and and uh, and then he said to me, listen, I, I want you to go and see uh, my friend, Emmanuel Hugo, uh, at Adam Brooks Hospital. Now, uh, Mr. Hugo is, uh, is the, I think he's the chief transplant surgeon at, um, 
at uh, Adam Brooks. <laughs> what a guy. What a guy. <laughs> what a guy. And uh, went to me and he, he had received the uh, original scans that I'd done from South End from a year before, a few months before. And he'd looked at them and they were say, he was saying they thought they could... I had a type of pancreatic cancer that he thought they could, they could do it. Um, he, he said it, normal, normally it's, it's fatal. And only I had the kind... I believe it was the same kind that Steve Jobs had. And Steve Jobs refused uh, conventional... Mess, you know, he was taking centipods or something, you know, like a bit. Anyway, so says so I'm sitting there, you know, I've been a year going around, going around thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to die, you know, <laughs> and uh, and now I'm sitting, <laughs> I'm sitting here, and there's this bloke look, looking at, you know, sort of talking to me. I think, is this is this guy telling me it's save my life? <laughs> and uh, oh, well, yeah, yes, he is. And, he's, and uh, he, he, he said that, as I say, the, by then this thing was huge. So anyway, I said, yeah, do it. And uh, and uh, I went in and there was like, wow, man. Of course, I wasn't <laughs> there for most of it, but uh, uh, it was a huge operation. It took, it, it was 11 hours. Um, they Things like they had um, teams of uh, transplant surgeons standing by. In case it was necessary, because there was some problem with the, uh, there was a large, uh, there were blood vessel underneath, underneath the tumor that they, they they couldn't actually see until they actually got in there, and anyway, there was there was a, the, the transplant surgeon was standing by in case in case the, the, they needed to kind of cut a chunk of vein out of my neck and put it in there, patch it, patch me up, and. Uh, well, they took my pancreas, my spleen, half my stomach, you know, and uh, a tumour that was the size of a melon and it weighed three and a quarter kilos. I mean, you, you know, and once I, I asked Mr. Hugo one time, I said, well, did you just, like, lift it out of me? He said, well, of course he did. It's what you do. I have to say that Mr. Hugo, Emmanuel Hugo, he is... I admire this guy. He's just so he's so kind of modest and diffident. And, and when I first met him, when he first started talking, I thought, I'll trust this guy. You know, I trust this guy. And and he, oh man. after a, after a, you know, I got better than that. And um, and Julian Temple had been making this film about me. And in fact, halfway through the film came the operation. I'm the first half of this film. I'm dying, and this, <laughs> the second half I'm recovering. Anyway, but you've had that really uh, uh, strange experience, the kind of Mark Twain experience that you know, people rumours of your death have been exaggerated. You must have read what were almost obituaries. All of the period after you were diagnosed, there were these huge tributes coming out. And you read all those, and then you didn't. And you I know, I know. It was. Uh, I mean, uh, yes. I, I was uh, uh, saying, okay. Um, in fact, after I, I got better, I think there were there were 
uh, one or two ceremonies I was attending at, and I was saying to people, it's like it's kind of you know I'd be, I'd, I'd been to some uh, you know uh, a wall ceremony or whatever and I think I got some prizes <laughs> but um, I said you know I would say man it's great if you, you, you stand up there and the, your audience thinks this this man is doing to die you know so it gives a bit of gravitas to your words you know but but uh, th- then uh, a year or so later I'm finding myself giving a speech again and I'm saying man it's it's kind of pretty dramatic to say yeah guys I'm I'm going to die but getting up and saying I'm going to live it just it just it's dramatic <laughs> so um, it, 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 recovery took a, a long time weeks and weeks and months and then, and then when I finally did get home it, it was another more and more months I was I was very very weak. And I, so what's the what's the prognosis now? I mean, you just apart from having to avoid getting yeah. Well, 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 the scene is now that that um, uh, I am I'm diabetic. Obviously, they've taken my pancreas, so so I'm absolutely diabetic. Um, I I I have uh, I go for um, scans every six months. And uh, what are we? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, it's all a bonus now. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm nearly seventy-three, so I've had, I've had a fair innings, you know. So I, you know, <laughs> I mean, uh, so it's quite, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Wilco shot to fame in 1975 with the release of Dr Feelgood's debut album Down by the Jetty. Two further albums followed in the next two years before a bitter row led Wilco to leave the band and go it alone. So I'm going to take you back to the beginnings. Um, so who were, who were your first influences, Wilco, musically? Well, I think um, I, I, I started playing... The, uh, when I was a teenager, and they, they were, I mean, I was, uh, it was, it was right in the mid, in the, it was the, the Beatles and the Stones, you know, and uh, I, I, so I want, I wanted to play the guitar, and everyone, everyone at school, you know, bands, and that was what I did it for. Um, I didn't know anything about music. I just, I, I remember one day at, at school, I came to school, and uh, there was a kid there, he got a, a electric guitar, right. And and it was I remember seeing it in this classroom and I, and I looking at it and I was absolutely fascinated by this thing. I didn't I, I didn't know anything about music, you know, more than any other fifteen year old or whatever I was. And uh, and but I remember sort of looking at it and all the strings and the, the knobs and the tremolo arm and oh man, I thought I've got I've got one of these things, you know, and and. Uh, I was crazy about it, so I suppose for the next Christmas or whatever, whatever it was coming, I I got this really cheap guitar. I'm left-handed, and uh, and so <laughs> so when I started playing, I'm playing playing this way round, you know, left-handed way round, backwards, Paul McCartney or whatever, and uh, and Jimmy. <laughs> 
far. Anyway, I'm, I'm twanging away, left-handed. And uh, anyway, I, I was crap. I, uh, everyone at school, could, <laughs> everyone at school could play better than me. I mean, I, I you know, I was useless. And uh, and then I, I had an opportunity to buy a, 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 another guitar, guitar of someone. This guitar was called. It was, they were uh, British guitar Watkins made them. I think called a, a rapier Watkins rapier. Right, and they were kind of imitation Stratocasters. Pretty good guitars, really. Anyway, there was one of these going, and of course it, it was uh, a right-handed one. You know, it's an ordinary one. So I thought, I'll tell you what, I, I, I want to buy this guitar. I'm going to buy this guitar. I'm going to learn, I'm going to, 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 learn to play the other way around, and I'm going to tell myself I've only just begun, right? So I'm an absolute beginner. So I won't feel so bloody stupid because I'm so useless and everyone can play better than me. <laughs> Anyway, in in the in the, the uh, doing this, learning to play right-handed and things, I think then because of the Rolling Stones, I first started hearing uh, you know chess music, you know uh, proper rhythm and blues, and you know and the, the, all the greats, you know, and the, to hear somebody like John Lee Hooker. When all you've been used to is Cliff Richard, it's, it's, you know. <laughs> and I went to university, and, I, and you know, Procol Harum come from South End, and uh, I, I knew Robin Trower, right? Just being local, and and uh, and when I went to, they were in a band called the Paramounts, right? And then they recorded White Shade of Pale. At the Freshers' Bowl, it was. <laughs> The top of the bill was was the Procol Harum, right? And this was right when White Sailor Pearl was on. And, and I'm standing there in, in, in me glad rags, you know, look, look, looking around. And, 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 and the band come on. And they come on and Robin Trower saw me. And, and he, he sort of nodded to me. And, I went, well, and, I, and I'm walking, oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Procol Harum, my mates. And... Um, I I put a I put I, in fact I put a, a, a postcard up on the notice board in <laughs> in the union uh, saying uh, ex associate of Procol Harum. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I did I didn't get a single reply, and and so, and so I, I I left my guitar at home after I didn't play I didn't play again until I'd gone through university and and been to Kathmandu and back and then bumped into Lee Brillo on the street one day and the rest is well, sort of history. So what was it like being in the Filgers? It was a pretty intense few years. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it was uh, well. It, 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 it was great. Well, you know, first of all, it was just nobody had any intentions with anything. You know, we, we, we were a local band. You know, and but we we were all into um, Lee and Sparko, and like we're like four or five years younger than me. I think they sort of looked up, looked up to me a bit because that didn't last long. You know. <laughs> But anyway, we, we just started, what we wanted to do was was play, uh, just play a, 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 you know R and B stuff, sixties R and B stuff, and and, uh, and it, it was not. This is nineteen seventy two, 
It's, it's, it's all you've got to dress up as a ballerina and sing about going to Mars or something. Well, we didn't want to do that. So so we, we, we just did our... Um, play the, you know, R&B stuff, more, more or less like the Rolling Stones 1966 repertoire, you know, and, and uh, we were, we were, um, the, 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 the local bands were, people, they, they, they used to, <laughs> they used to kind of try and, try and uh, mock us, because uh, what we were doing was uh, old-fashioned, and it wasn't, it, 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 it wasn't at all, um, Music to wear a frock to, but anyway, the, 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 that that when that when the, I, I I was a school teacher then. I, I mean, in fact, funnily enough, the day I met Lee on the street and it all, it all started, I just got a job teaching at the local comprehensive school. Anyway, so there was a by the time the school year had ended. I can't think what it was, but I mean, we used to play like lo local gigs, and I mean, I've actually got a guy made uh, cassettes, recordings of some of these early gigs at the Esplanade in Southend. Whenever I listen, if I ever do, I can. I know. Listen, I mean, <laughs> it was bloody awful. We were. <laughs> it was. It was I remember. You know, you sort of think, oh man, you know. This, I mean, really, really amateurish. And uh, and and yet, I always knew. I thought I knew there was something about it. I'm mean, like, yes, I you know, I, I really. I think a lot of it was to do with Lee. He was a he was a. I don't know. He was a kind of a very strong personality. I think just a, he was very very funny. And and on stage, he he used to radiate this, you know, like. And I just I used to pick up on it, you know. And he'd be like, and uh, so, so I'm, I'm like standing next to him, yeah, you know, with the guitar. And so I I always looked on Lee as the leader like that. Although in you know lots of ways we're working together, but I, I yeah, I felt him. What, what I did, I drew from him. And, uh, you it, see the two of you on stage together in those, in any videos. Oh, my goodness, what an energetic pair. Yeah. I mean, really, even now, there's just so much energy coming off the two of you. And you can see how that would have been so exciting to people who didn't want to watch Glam Rock. Well, it was. It was like, as I say, I mean, I picked up from Lee... And uh, you know, and b before too long. Also, we we, we got into the whole thing like the trip. We were wearing these cheap suits and and stuff. This was before the Blues Brothers, right? But we were like doing that one, you know, and and, and driving round in an old Ford Zephyr and that. I felt it had there was something there. I was just saying, you talking about those suits. I mean, you used to see yeah. that old dirty old white suit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like he'd been sort of dug up out of the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic to see someone. Yeah, I mean, and the thing was, it, as I say, it was, it was never. Um, I mean, we never, we never used to rehearse. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, maybe occasionally to learn material, but, but but certainly the stage show, never ever did we discuss it or or anything. We we just did it, you know. And it, as I say, I, I I took my cue from Lee, but. Uh, 
And the thing is, you go, uh, you get used to playing live gigs, and you you, you you do something like, you know, do the old machine gun bit with the guitar or something, and you, you see people love it. And so, you do, you know, you do it more. Well, you, you know, you, 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 you're looking at people like you want to start a fight, you know, and... And uh, it was great, you know, because, you, you, you know, you, you really feel like that. And also, the audience realised that it was, <laughs> you know, it was, there was never any trouble at feel-good gigs. You know, there was, all the violence was on the stage and the stuff like that. But everybody, everybody was in on the joke. And I used to say, it's like uh, when you're a kid and you're playing cops and robbers. Right, and you go, man, that's a real gun. That's not my fingers, and and so it was just the same thing. This ain't a guitar, man. It's an AK forty-seven, and watch it. <laughs> well, you can see how um, how punk came out of that, and the huge influence those bands who would have come gone to see yeah. you, bands like the Stranglers, who would have gone to see you, and, and tapped into that energy and copied it, really. Yeah. It's I mean, like, you were kind of the godfathers of punk, in a way. Yeah, they call us things like that. I mean, I, 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 I do know that, yeah, I'd say all, all, of, all of the punk bands actually were really in the Doctor Feelgood. Um, I, I, you know, I got, I got to know a lot of these people uh, subsequently. Clash and the Pistols. Uh, uh, Strangler. Jean-Jacques Bernal moved into my flat uh, <laughs> that was, but just so yeah and, 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 and uh, I think yeah all the, all the punk bands I think the thing was a lot of them were, were <clears throat> they were so young and uh, inexperienced I mean like musically you know that we were a little bit better than yeah. the but, but the, you know like, they, they took the important bit you know which is like the, the Stranglers is a, good, is a good example because, of course, they were very good musicians, but they definitely took some of that. And I mean, Bernal, John Jacques Bernal says it himself. He says, You were the bridge between the old days and punk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the, the Stranglers, they were, like you say, they, they, they were um, better musicians than the, than a lot of the. Uh, yeah, I mean, some of them were like little children, <laughs> And you had. I know that you had. Uh, Obviously, there's the quite a bitter breakup of Phil. Yeah. And I, I read, I've read a couple of times. You said there was a lot of pressure on you to write the songs, and the rest of the band didn't appreciate that. Is there, is that right? Um, not quite. I mean, yes, I, I, I did write the song. I was one of those songs. I mean, I was always trying to get them to, you know, sit down with them, so sit down with Lee or someone. It's like, come on, let's write a song together, do it. But they wouldn't do it. I did it, and. Uh, that was all right because I, I mean I, I I I'd never tried before Phil before we really got going. I'd never tried to write songs and never thought of it, you know. And then I found out I could I could do it, and so I, I, yeah, I was I was digging it, and it did mean I mean like you make your first album and it's all it's all in a big rush of enthusiasm, wow, record and all that, and. Then there's a terrible problem. You've got to make another album, man. That means you've got to have some songs. That's when it starts getting freaky. I don't think they quite uh, understood. I wrote this song called "Back in the Night," right? 
and yeah. uh, I, I, I've got to remember all about this song, right? I'm, I was uh, uh, one night I'm sit, I'm sitting at home uh, with my missus and, uh, and chatting away, and suddenly I think of this dun, dun, and, 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 and I say I, I say shut up. <laughs> she went she went off to bed, and uh, and and I wrote the song, and I thought I thought bloody hell, this sounds like. A and as it happens, we would, there was going to be a rehearsal uh, the next day. I wanted to go to the rehearsal and play. I'd sat all night, <laughs> recorded this song, <laughs> bouncing the tracks on that, and uh, I, I carried this reel-to-reel tape recorder in my arms <laughs> for a mile, right, to feel good house. Yeah, well, anyway, the, the, everyone says, I'm plugging my tape recorder up, and, and I played it to them, and they went, that's oh, all right. <laughs> what, what, what did happen? I don't know. It was pretty venomous at the end. But I'll, I'll tell you what, this last album did, what was it called? Blow Your Mind. Yeah, Blow Your Mind. Yeah. Right, we recorded that at uh, Rockfield, and which is where Phil was recorded the the sneaking to the last album I did with them, where the where the where the bust up happened, and you know Rockfield, it's it's in a a stable yard, and uh, anyway we we're we're driving there, we're going to start that album, and I realised it had been forty years ago. That I'd last been there, and this, and we drive in that place, and this, this on one side of the yard, this, this accommodation, right? So I picked the same room I'd had then, and uh, but one thing is, somebody's at night time. You're working at night time, and I used, to, I'd walk out into the night, and it's all quiet and in the stable yard, and I'd stand by where my room was at the door, because that's where the, where the argument happened in, in my room. And stand there, looking at this doorway, and thinking, well, can you imagine 40 years since some traumatic event that really changed the course of your life? 40 years, and I, and I hadn't been back there since, and it's still just the same. And I would just stand there looking at it and thinking... I could almost hear the voice, the argument. I almost hear the voices echoing. You know, if it was in a movie, you'd hear it. You'd hear it all. You know, and just standing there thinking, "My God," you know, that, thinking, remembering me, remembering us all there. What was happening to us? Remember, you know, the, when my first son was a little toddler, um, the, the, and all that. That uh, all night long, this 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 row with those bastards. Picking on me and and and, and uh, taking in turns to have a go at me. Of course, they didn't stand a chance. You know, <laughs> you want logic? I got logic. <laughs> so but, what uh, was their point? What was their point for rowing with you? Who knows? I mean, they because really they they were arseholes, really, in a way. When the morning came and we realised that the band had split up, you know, and so I'm saying, oh, okay, you know, and we were going to go back to London. I said, listen, don't, let's not have this argument in the newspapers. We'll just, we'll put out an announcement that we parted company, 
you know, I don't, you know, I'm a bitching. And uh, sure enough, go the next week's newspaper, on the front page of every bloody newspaper was Wilco leaves the feel goods and Wilco, and it was Wilco. Fucking hell. I mean, generally just arseholes. And, uh You wrote your autobiography in the last few years. Did you kind of re-evaluate any of that stuff, or did you feel exactly the same? Um, I can't remember. <laughs> I mean, uh, but you know, when I, you know, I talk about it now, I don't, I, I don't... I don't really know what my feelings are about. I mean, it's like, it doesn't have any emotional feeling to me at all now. It's something that happened a long, long time ago, you know, and uh, uh, I was in the right. That's all you got to know. <laughs> That was the first part of my interview with Wilco. Among the subjects in part two are the deaths of his beloved wife Irene and Dr. Feelgood singer Lee Brillo. Also, Wilco's spell in Ian Jury and the Blockheads and surprise hit record with Roger Daltrey. Thanks to Wilco for taking part. If you liked any of the song snippets you've heard, make sure you buy Wilco's album Blow Your Mind. Thanks also to Simon Johnson, Zoe Howe and Mark Taplin. Hope you enjoyed listening. Look out for part two.